Hi everyone, welcome back to Cuckoo. You are with Alex, accredited mental health social worker. Today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the crisis service merry-go-round. If you've listened to Chloe's story, which was last episode, she was talking a lot about the process of going through different mental health services and especially crisis mental health services and her journey through those services, which was very stressful and very difficult. And I hear that from a lot of clients that I work with. And I've seen that a lot when I've worked in public mental health system and in mental health crisis services myself, that there can be this kind of merry-go-round that people get on that really perpetuates hopelessness and doesn't get people better. So I'm going to talk about that today. And I want to talk about that in the hope that if you identify with this or you know somebody and care about somebody who is on this merry-go-round, I'm going to talk about how you get off it, right? How you actually start to look at improving life and long-term recovery. So let's get into it. So mental health crisis services are an essential part of the healthcare system. They provide essential emergency interventions for people that need really urgent help. And crisis services have the role of keeping people safe in the immediate short-term future. They offer containment and ideally assessment and some treatment for people who are unable to stay safe and they're really in an emergency situation. So I'm going to be talking today about suicide and self-harm, bit of a trigger warning for that coming up. But crisis services are usually accessed when somebody is having intense thoughts of harming themselves or someone else. Most of the time, these thoughts are about people causing harm to themselves or ending their own life. Sometimes it's in regards to harming other people, but far more frequently, it's in regards to people wanting to harm themselves. And that's what I'm going to focus on in this conversation today. What a lot of people don't realize, including a lot of healthcare providers, even some mental health care providers, they don't realize that the recommended treatment for chronic thoughts of self-harm and suicide is entirely different to how we treat sudden or acute onset suicidal thoughts and urges. So what I mean about that is there are some people that have suicidal thoughts as part of their normal everyday existence. They've usually been there for a long time. The intensity comes and goes, but they're they're kind of always there. How we treat that in the mental health system needs to be entirely different to how we treat somebody who has had a sudden onset of suicidal urges and this is very out of character for them. That's an entirely different thing that has different causes and different treatment recommendations. So that's really important to understand. Let me outline for you what it looks like when a suicidal person makes contact with emergency services. So this is usually the cycle. Step number one, the person expresses suicidal thoughts or plans to someone else. Now, it could be a family member, it could be a crisis line, it could be a healthcare professional, it could be a police officer, uh, an ambulance officer. 
So the person expresses they are having strong urges to end their life. Then typically what happens is they are taken to their local emergency department or they go to their local emergency department for a mental health assessment as a matter of urgency. Okay, that's seen as an emergency situation if somebody is having those very strong urges and they've told somebody that. Or sometimes the person may have had an attempt and they need to go to the emergency department, perhaps for medical treatment, but also for psychiatric assessment. So they end up in the emergency department and there they will see the psychiatric mental health team. So then what happens is there's a a whole variety of things that can happen after they're seen in the emergency department. Option number one, some people are kept in hospital, sometimes for a brief admission, sometimes for a longer admission. They might be kept in the emergency department or some emergency departments have specialist units attached to them for brief psychiatric admissions, PEC units, they're often called psychiatric emergency care centers, or they might be transferred to a psychiatric unit for more long-term treatment. So those things might happen, or what might happen is they're just turned around and sent back home. Maybe the team, the psychiatric team has said, yeah, we don't think you're that risky. Off you go. You're safe to go home. And they are obliged to provide some follow-up, which is usually a contact with the community mental health team within the next day or so at home. When this happens to somebody who is very suicidal, that can work well for somebody when those suicidal thoughts are new to them, they're out of character for them, and there's an underlying mental illness going on, such as a major depressive disorder or psychosis. So that cycle works in those cases. And that's because the underlying mental illness of the depression or the psychosis requires treatment. And if you treat that, then the suicidal thoughts go away. However, for somebody where suicidal thoughts are there a lot, so I'm going to call this chronic suicidality. So for people where those thoughts are there a lot of the time, they've been there for years and, you know, they come and go in intensity, but they're always kind of there. For those people, this journey through crisis services achieves nothing. So they tell someone they're having suicidal thoughts, they go to hospital, they get assessed. Typically the psychiatric team will say, well, there's no point keeping you because we c- there's no underlying depression or anything that we can treat. Go home, follow up with your GP. That's typically how it goes. So you can imagine for somebody who has suicidal thoughts a lot, If they're going through this process a lot, nothing is really achieved. They're just going round and round in circles. If the suicidal thoughts don't resolve, then they just go straight back around. So then they still have suicidal thoughts. They tell somebody or they go into the emergency department for some reason. They get seen. They get discharged, right? The underlying problem is not being addressed because the underlying problem is a really chronic level of very high distress and hopelessness, right? Now, people with major depression have that as well, but it tends to be more episodic. So I'm talking here about people where the depression, the hopelessness, the high distress is a really long-term experience for them. Now, that can happen in trauma, 
that can happen with some personality disorders, uh, that can happen for people who are in long-term stressful or abusive situations. So this cycle, it, we're not actually treating the underlying problem. We're only treating the symptom, which is the suicidality, but we're not actually getting to the core of the issue, which is the distress and the hopelessness. So nothing is improving. So I want you to think about whether you recognize that cycle for yourself, for someone that you love, or possibly someone that you work with, if you work in, in psychiatry and mental health. And thinking about if you recognize that cycle, that, that merry-go-round of into hospital, brief assessment, out of hospital, nothing improves, round and round and round. And what can happen is that people start to feel very misunderstood and very invalidated the more and more they present through crisis services. Often clients will come into the hospital, the team will say, oh, you were here last week and you were here the week before that and you were here the week before that, and they start to treat those patients differently, not in a good way. Not their fault because I understand the emergency department is a busy place. I've worked in emergency departments, but there tends to start to be a judgment and there tends to start to be frustration and apathy from staff around these presentations. Somebody told me the other week that they were a frequent flyer. That is an, a label they had been given by staff in the emergency department. They were aware that they'd been given that label. And I'm sure you can imagine that that doesn't feel very nice to be labeled a frequent flyer. And what was happening for this person was exactly this cycle. They kept presenting as they needed to do because they felt unsafe, but the underlying problem was not being addressed. They were just being seen and discharged, seen and discharged, seen and discharged with less and less and less follow-up. The crisis treatment structure is very helpful for people who, again, have conditions that respond well to quick and usually medication-driven treatments like depression, like psychosis, okay? But this treatment model does nothing to help people whose suicidal and self-harm urges are long-term and chronic. And what I mean by long-term and chronic is I'm talking about months and years of pretty constant feelings of hopelessness and thoughts of self-harm and or suicide. A lot of people I work with say that they've felt like this since childhood. It goes back a long way. And they've often tried medication and other treatment options with no effect. So these people need better treatment options. They're not getting what they need on this merry-go-round of crisis services. So let's explore what a better treatment plan looks like for anybody with chronic self-harm or suicidal urges. So let's say again that the person experiences the suicidal urges or plans, they tell somebody or they recognize it within themselves. They go to the emergency department and they have a crisis assessment. They may require a brief admission to keep them safe. That's something that a lot of emergency departments are reluctant to do with these types of clients. There is some evidence that long hospital admissions are detrimental to these kinds of clients and there's some truth to that, but brief admissions can be necessary and sometimes helpful just to contain the risk and to get a discharge plan put together. Now, when the person is discharged, they need to be discharged to a specialist service who work with chronic suicidality and self-harm. This sounds obvious, doesn't it? But it's actually quite hard. 
There's a few issues about why this is hard. Number one, there's not a lot of those services in some areas. I'm talking here mainly about DBT services, so dialectical behavioral therapy programs and services, which are long-term therapeutic services. And DBT therapy has shown to be the most effective form of treatment for chronic suicidality and self-harm. So the problem can be, does your area have those services? And if not, that can be tricky. The other problem is there are rules in the public healthcare sector that you're not allowed to recommend any private business. So that means if you are working on the emergency mental health team and you see a chronically suicidal client and you know that they really need DBT treatment, you're not allowed to say, call up this private service and you can get it because public services cannot be seen to be in cahoots with private services. We, we can't be giving favoritism there. And I understand those rules and I can see the validity to that. However, if there are no available public DBT services, then I think client care and duty of care to a client overrides that. If you know of a private service that does exactly what this client needs, then you should be able to suggest that service. The point here is the client needs to be discharged to a specialist service whose day in, day out business is working with chronic suicidality. And that's not happening because so many times I hear clients get discharged from the emergency department and maybe they go and they just get referred to their GP. Their GP says, oh, go and see this therapist down the road who's a general therapist, maybe does cognitive behavioral therapy, is probably a great therapist, but has no specialist training in working with chronic suicidality. They rock up to this therapist, the therapist goes, oh crap, you're really suicidal. And they send them back to the emergency department and the cycle continues, right? Specialist services, so the private practice that I run, for example, we specialize in DBT, that is our bread and butter work. When a client says, I have suicidal thoughts, we just go, yeah, of course you do. That's why you're here. We don't freak out and send them to the emergency department unless that risk level is absolutely sky high and that person cannot stay safe today. But we have a much higher tolerance of that risk because this is the clientele we work with and we recognise that those people are not going to get what they need in an emergency department unless they are really unable to stay safe today. Referrals to specialist services who work with this type of client day in and day out. It's so important. Also, what happens is that if clients aren't referred to the right service, they go and see the wrong service, it doesn't work, and then the client feels like they're failing. They feel like they can't be helped. They have not failed. It's just not been the right type of treatment. Once the client can find that specialist service, they get that long-term support. Ideally, their family also gets some support and guidance. They learn new skills. We focus on building distress tolerance. We focus on the underlying issue of very high distress and hopelessness. And we treat that. Now, if we treat that well, the suicidal stuff starts to diminish and go down. It might still be there in the background for a while, but eventually it starts to go down and eventually it goes away. And that takes time. This isn't short, quick therapy. It takes time and it takes a lot of work, but it is absolutely doable. And there's lots of research to show that DBT is very effective with people who struggle with this. 
if you identify with this and you identify with that roundabout, that merry-go-round of around services, just nothing is getting achieved. I want you to think about finding a specialist service in your area who work with chronic self-harm and suicidality day in and day out. It's going to be a DBT service. They're going to do DBT therapy, again, dialectical behavioral therapy. And I want you to get in touch with them and I want you to get into that treatment. If you don't have a face-to-face DBT program in your area, there are lots of online ones. So I'm in Australia. I run an online one overseas in America. I know they have a bunch of online ones. I know there's an online one in uh, Victoria as well. Uh, I'll put some links into the show notes for you, but find an online service. I know that a lot of people prefer face-to-face, but it's better than nothing. Trust me, it's better than staying on this crisis roundabout, which is just making you feel worse. All right, I hope that's helpful. Please reach out to me if you have questions around this, uh, if you have a family member that you're concerned about, if you're a parent with a child that you're concerned about. I have lots of resources for you guys, and I'd love to hear from you. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time.